Hi everyone, it's Joe Wigand from Medora, North Dakota, gateway to Theodore Roosevelt National Park and home to the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation. With their help, we're starting Teddy Talks. The April program is called 26 Days with the 26th President. Each and every day, I'll be reading at length from some of what uh, Theodore Roosevelt wrote and spoke during his lifetime. Uh, as we go through, uh, I hope that you'll understand why Theodore Roosevelt at the State Fair in Minnesota on Labor Day 1901 told the people there to speak softly and carry a big stick. You will go far. Teddy Talks are proudly presented by the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation in Medora, North Dakota. To learn more about visiting or supporting our mission to connect people to the Badlands for positive, life-changing experiences, go to Medora.com. Now, enjoy the pod. Good morning, and welcome to Teddy Talks for Wednesday, May 27th, 2020. I'm your host, Joe Wiegand, coming to you from Medora, North Dakota, gateway to Theodore Roosevelt National Park, future home of Theodore Roosevelt Presidential Library and Museum. Here at Teddy Talks, it's my hope that in going back to things that Theodore Roosevelt said, did, wrote on this date uh, in his lifetime, stretching from 1858 until 1919, and, and also then uh, accessing uh, this date in history with some of the uh, characters with whom Theodore Roosevelt interacted, uh, protagonists, antagonists, uh, world figures, uh, that we might know more about Theodore Roosevelt and his times, and then perhaps even to be able to apply some of what he preached from the bully pulpit and some of his examples of taking action to our own lives. So welcome to Teddy Talks for this date. Looking at the week ahead uh, uh, to uh, complete the month of May and to complete our series of Monday through Saturday visits. In the month of June, we'll move to a, a once a week Saturday format while we get very busy here in Medora. Uh, concluding this week, tomorrow, we've got remarks of President Theodore Roosevelt in Idaho. And imagine when we talk about whistle-stop campaigns and you think of the uh, photographs, the images of Theodore Roosevelt uh, on the uh, uh, the back of the train and, and then perhaps uh, visiting with the, uh, the townsfolk uh, uh, at the train. We're going to go through Idaho tomorrow to Pocatello, Nampa, Glens Ferry, Mountain Home, Boise, and Shoshone. On Friday, May 29th, Theodore Roosevelt, and, and that's 1903 that Theodore... Uh, during his great um, western trip uh, made those visits in Idaho and then went on the next day to Utah. So Friday, May 29th, commemorating Theodore Roosevelt's visit, May 29th, 1903, he spoke at the Tabernacle uh, in Salt Lake City, the great tabernacle of the Mormon Church, and again at Ogden, Utah. Uh, we'll conclude our programs this week on Saturday, May 30th. Remarks of Governor Theodore Roosevelt at Grant's tomb and at the Metropolitan Opera House in New York, New York, May 30th, 1899. In both cases, I think his remarks are addressed to members of the Grand Army of the Republic. 
uh, in a way, the American Legion of the day, the veterans organization, caring for the widow and the orphan and the uh, uh, veteran, as Abraham Lincoln had asked us to do at Gettysburg. Uh, today, we'll have two talks, uh, two brief uh, speeches Theodore Roosevelt made in Montana. Uh, he comes back to this theme of uh, justice and law and uh, our country uh, being here for good citizens, regardless of their section, uh, their creed, and their class. Montana having been a, a, a site of significant uh, violence uh, in the mining industry. And uh, you might remember we were talking about uh, 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 some of the uh, uh, the assassination in Denver of the former governor of Montana. Uh, Teddy Talks on May 27, 2020. We've got some dates uh, in history. Uh, the birth in September, uh, in uh, May 27, 1794, the birth in Staten Island, New York of Cornelius Vanderbilt. Uh, this is uh, the Vanderbilt known as the Commodore, the one who really amassed the wealth in uh, railroads and shipping eventually owning the New York Central Railroad, though a great deal of the wealth was built up in the ferries uh, uh, that uh, carried folks from Staten Island to uh, New York City. Uh, he provided the initial gift uh, to found Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. It would be his children who uh, very often would be in the forefront of the Gilded Age. May 27, 1813, in the War of 1812 in Canada, the American forces capture Fort George. Uh, that's uh, in the uh, Niagara Falls uh, region. Uh, May 27, 1818, the birth in Homer, New York of Amelia Jenks Bloomer, an American journalist, woman's rights and temperance advocate. In 1851, she actually uh, introduced uh, a couple of uh, leading uh, uh, women's rights uh, uh, Advocates Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, they would go on to forge an alliance for decades, and it was Bloomer who introduced uh, Stanton to uh, Anthony uh, in Seneca Falls, where uh, Bloomer published The Lily. Uh, she was the first female owner and editor of a, uh, a regular magazine, eventually selling that magazine when she and her husband moved to Council Bluffs, Iowa. Uh, Bloomer often wrote about uh, fashion in her magazine, uh, in addition to uh, women's rights. Uh, she wrote in her uh, magazine about uh, what she was doing, quote, it was a needed instrument to spread abroad the truth of a new gospel to woman, and I could not withhold my hand to stay the work I had begun. I saw not the end from the beginning and dreamed where to my propositions to society would lead me. I mentioned she wrote about costumes uh, promoting a change in dress standards for women that would be less restrictive in regular activities. Uh, she wrote, quote, the costume of women should be suited to her wants and necessities. It should conduce at once to her health, comfort, and usefulness. And while it should not fail also to conduce to her personal adornment, it should make that end of secondary importance. There was a New England temperance advocate, uh, activist, Elizabeth Smith Miller, known as Libby Miller, uh, who uh, had gone and traveled and, and she came back and she liked the idea of women's trousers uh, gathered at the ankles and topped by a short dress, skirt and vest. Uh, she uh, wore the costume as did the famous actress Fanny Kemble. 
and uh, she introduced that clothing to Stanton, her cousin, who found it sensible and, and uh, adopted the garb. Uh, Stanton visited Bloomer, who began to wear the costume and promoted enthusiastically in her magazine. Articles on the clothing trend were picked up in the New York Tribune. More women wore the fashion, which was promptly dubbed the Bloomer costume or Bloomers. And now you know where we get that phrase, Bloomers. Uh, um, Amelia Jenks Bloomer uh, uh, tried the fashion briefly and uh, went back to a more traditional garb, but uh, um, we, uh, we remember today the birth of uh, uh, Ms. Bloomer. Uh, she would die December 30th, 1894 in Council Bluffs, Iowa. On this date, May 27th, 1819, the birth of New York City, New York of Julia Ward Howe, American poet known for writing the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Now, she and her husband visited uh, the White House and Abraham Lincoln in November of 1861. Uh, her friend James Freeman Clark suggested she write new words to the song John, John Brown's Body, which the soldiers were singing. And she did so on November 19th. Now, the song was set to William Steffes, already existing music, and Howe's version was first published in the Atlantic Monthly in February of 1862. Uh, the opening stanza, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. She would live a long life uh, to the age of 91, dying October 1910 in Portsmouth, Rhode Island. Uh, so profound was Julia Ward Howe's influence that Theodore Roosevelt dedicated his 1916 book Fear God and Take Your Own Part, to Julia Ward Howe, writing, quote, This book is dedicated to the memory of Julia Ward Howe, because in the vital matters fundamentally affecting the life of the Republic, she was as good a citizen of the Republic as Washington and Lincoln themselves. She was, in the highest sense, a good wife and a good mother. At the same time, she fulfilled her duty to the Commonwealth, she preached that stern and lofty courage of soul which shrinks neither from war nor suffering and hardship and danger. She embodies that trait more essential than any other in the makeup of the men and women of this republic, the valor of righteousness. Theodore Roosevelt on Julia Ward Howe, she was a pacifist, and that would have been an issue on which Theodore Roosevelt and Julia Ward Howe would have had contrary uh, uh, viewpoints. May 27, 1831, the death of Jedediah Strong Smith. He was born in Tioga County, New York in 1799, so lived a brief life of 32 years. American frontiersman, hunter, trapper, author, cartographer, and explorer of the Rocky Mountains, the North American West, and the Southwest during the early 19th century. Uh, leaving from uh, St. Louis, in uh, 1822, uh, he would uh, venture to the Salt Lake frontier and be amongst the uh, first American citizens, his party, to uh, cross uh, to the Colorado River, to cross the Mojave Desert, uh, to California, and then to go from California to Oregon, uh, crossing the Sierra Nevada, the Great Basin Desert, and uh, finding the route from Oregon to, uh, from California to Oregon, also then establishing the 20-mile-wide South Pass as the dominant point of crossing the Continental Divide for pioneers in the Oregon Trail. 
On May 27th, 1831, Smith and his partners had been in the midst of a trading uh, mission to Santa Fe. And while searching for water in present-day Southwest Kansas, Kansas uh, uh, Smith went missing. It was learned some weeks later that he had been killed during an encounter with the Comanche and his body never recovered. He'd survived three previous Indian massacres and a bear, bear mauling. Uh, he was forgotten to history for about three quarters of a century before in the early and mid 20th century, a great deal more was discovered about him. The explorer John C. Fremont used uh, Jedediah Smith's maps in his explorations. May 27, 1836, the birth in Roxbury, New York of Jason J. Gould, American railroad magnate and financial speculator identified as one of the robber barons of the Gilded Age. Theodore Roosevelt would actually speak against Gould, uh, uh, and uh, Gould died uh, in, uh, during uh, Roosevelt's lifetime in 1892 in New York City. In 1869, Gould and his partner Fisk attempted to uh, corner the gold market. They had contacts with uh, President Ulysses S. Grant's uh, secretary, and. Uh, it caused the uh, the great crash of 1869. So Theodore Roosevelt wasn't the only one to uh, uh, to complain about the role that Gould played in our economy. Eventually, he would control over 10,000 miles of railway and control about 15% of the country's railway tracks by 1882, uh, including uh, ownership of the Union Pacific, the Western Union Telegraph Company, and the elevated railways in New York City. And this would have been where uh, Theodore Roosevelt and Gould would have come into significant uh, conflict with one another as Theodore Roosevelt sought to tax the monopoly of the elevated trains in the city. May 27, 1837, the birth and present day Troy Grove, LaSalle, Illinois, of Will Wild Bill Hickok. Uh, I visited the uh, grave, uh, uh, the uh, memorial uh, recognizing the birthplace of uh, Hickok. Of course, his gravesite is here in Deadwood at Mount Moriah Cemetery. Uh, for uh, Hickok came west and in 1876 was serving as the sheriff of Deadwood, or uh, I don't believe he was sheriff, but he'd done some law enforcement work. In Deadwood, Dakota Territory, uh, he was shot in the back of the head by Jack McCall. The uh, card players know that his hand, uh, uh, two black aces and two black eights, are referred to as the dead man's hand. The lawlessness of Deadwood was responded to by the city fathers by hiring one Seth Bullock that same year, 1876, to begin his duties of Sheriff of Deadwood, in which capacity he and Theodore Roosevelt would first meet. May 27, 1905, closer to uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt's presidency and his impact, the Russo-Japanese War, the battle, the two-day battle of the Battle of Tsushima or Tsushima Straits. This is the uh, uh, the area that goes between uh, Korea and Japan, and uh, it was in that uh, area. In the, sometimes the Japanese call it the uh, Battle of the Sea of Japan, that Admiral Togo uh, defeated and destroyed two thirds of the Russian fleet. That fleet, having come all the way from the Baltic Sea, over eighteen thousand nautical miles, to try to relieve the. Uh, uh, the uh, Pacific Fleet of the Russians at Port Arthur. And uh, in London in 1906, Sir George Clark wrote, The Battle of Tsushima is by far the greatest and most important naval event since Trafalgar. The Portsmouth Treaty was concluded in September of 1905 without any 
further major battles in the war. May 27, 1907, the birth in Springdale, Pennsylvania of Rachel Louise Carson. Rachel Carson, American marine biologist, author, and conservationist whose book, Silent Spring and other writings are credited with advancing the global environmental movement. Got her start with the U.S. Bureau of Fisheries and uh, Carson was posthumously awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Jimmy Carter for uh, she died uh, at the age of 57 in 1964 in Silver Spring, Maryland. May 27, 1911, the birth in Wallace, South Dakota of Hubert Horatio Humphrey Jr. American uh, politician, mayor of Minneapolis, senator from Minnesota, 38th vice president of the United States, Democratic nominee for the presidency in 1968. And finally, May 27, 1923, the birth in Firth, Weimar, Weimar Republic of Henry Alfred Kissinger. This may be the first individual on our uh, Teddy Talks with uh, uh, this date in history or this date in Theodore Roosevelt history. Uh, the first individual for whom we would uh, be wishing a happy birthday who's still alive. This would be the uh, uh, 97th birthday uh, for Henry Alfred Kissinger, uh, born in Germany, but uh, the uh, Secretary of State of the United States under Presidents uh, Nixon and Ford, a National Security Advisor, credited with uh, our policies uh, of detente with the Soviet Union, uh, the opening up of the relationship and Nixon's uh, secret visit to the People's Republic of China, uh, engaged in shuttle diplomacy in the Middle East to end the Yom Kippur War and negotiated the Paris Peace Accords, ending the involvement in the Vietnam War. Uh, he's written many books on diplomatic history and international relations and is certainly not an uncontroversial figure uh, still today in American history. And I spoke a, a bit too early when I said uh, that was it for uh, uh, this date in history. One last one, if I may, and, and this comes uh, close to our own lifetimes. And May 27th, 1960, 1960. This is a death date uh, in New York City of James Montgomery Flagg, born June 18th, 1877 in Pelham, New York, an American artist, comics uh, artist and illustrator. In the early 20th century, the highest paid illustrator as he uh, uh, was the head illustrator for such publications as the Saturday Evening Post and Collier's Magazine. Uh, amongst the many images that uh, Flagg gave to us was Uncle Sam and that uh, poster of uh, the bearded Uncle Sam pointing out from the poster, I want you uh, to join the United States Army. Uh, we uh, posted that uh, uh, at Teddy Talks uh, on, the, on Facebook and you can see that image there. And unfortunately, we had to use that same image again uh, during Flagg's lifetime. It was redone for World War II as well. Well, a bit of an indulgence in this day in history, May 27th. Uh, there was a great deal left out. And, and uh, that brings us, however, to uh, a couple of speeches Theodore Roosevelt made on his great, great Western trip in 1903. Still... Um, still uh, in, in a way establishing his agenda through Congress and through connecting with the American people and the press, having just come to the presidency uh, from the vice presidency in September of 1901. This was Theodore Roosevelt's first chance to uh, go and visit the Western states uh, since uh, his ascendancy to the presidency. His first time to visit the states of uh, Washington and Oregon, 
and uh, California and uh, the first time to see the Grand Canyon. Uh, but he makes uh, uh, quick whistle-stop trips through Montana, Idaho, and Utah on these uh, three subsequent dates. So uh, today, these two uh, briefer speeches from Montana. The first in Butte, Montana. Mr. Chairman, and you, my fellow citizens, it would have been a great pleasure to come to Butte in any event. It is a double pleasure to come here at the invitation of the representatives of the wage workers of Butte. I do not say merely working men, because I hold that every good American who does his duty must be a working man. There are many different kinds of work to do, but so long as the work is honorable, is necessary, and is well done, the man who does it well is entitled to the respect of his fellows. I have come here to this meeting especially as the invited guest of the wage workers, and I am happy to be able to say that the kind of speech I will make to you, I would make just in exactly the same language to any group of employers or any set of our citizens in any corner of this republic. I do not think, so far as I know, that I have ever promised beforehand anything I did not make a strong effort to make good afterward. It is sometimes very attractive and very pleasant to make any kind of a promise without thinking whether or not you can fulfill it. But in the after event, it is always unpleasant when the time for fulfilling comes. For in the long run, the most disagreeable truth is a safer companion than the most pleasant falsehood. Tonight, I have come hither looking on either hand at the results of the enterprises which have made Butte so great. The man who by the use of his capital develops a great mine. The man who by the use of his capital builds a great railroad. The man who by the use of his capital, either individually or joined with others like him, does any great legitimate business enterprise, confers a benefit, not a harm, upon the community, and is entitled to be so regarded. He is entitled to the protection of the law, and in return he is to be required himself to obey the law. The law is no respecter of persons. The law is to be administered neither for the rich man as such, nor for the poor man as such. It is to be administered for every man, rich or poor, if he is an honest and law-abiding citizen. And it is to be invoked against any man, rich or poor, who violates it, without regard to which end of the social scale he may stand at, without regard to whether his offense takes the form of greed and cunning or the form of physical violence. In either case, if he violates the law, the law is to be invoked against him. And in so invoking it, I have the right to challenge the support of all good citizens and to demand the acquiescence of every good man. I hope I will have it. But once for all, I wish it understood that even if I do not have it, I shall enforce the law. The soldiers who fought in the great civil war fought for liberty under, by, and through the law. And they fought to put a stop once and for all to any effort to sunder this country on the lines of sectional hatred. Therefore, their memory shall be forever precious to our people. We need to keep ever in mind that he is the worst enemy of this country who would strive to separate its people along the lines of section against section, 
of creed against creed or of class against class. There are two sides to that. It is a base and an infamous thing for the man of means to act in a spirit of arrogant and brutal disregard of right toward his fellow who has less means. And it is no less infamous, no less base to act in a spirit of rancor, envy, and hatred against the man of greater means merely because of his greater means. If we are to preserve this republic as it was founded, as it was handed down to us by the men of 61 to 65, and as it is and will be, we must draw the line never between section and section, never between creed and creed, thrice never between class and class, but along the line of conduct, the line that separates the good citizen wherever he may be found from the bad citizen wherever he may be found. This is not and never shall be a government of a plutocracy. It is not and never shall be a government by a mob. It is as it has been and as it will be, a government in which every honest man, every decent man, be he employer or employed, wage worker, mechanic, banker, lawyer, farmer, be he who he may, if he acts squarely and fairly, if he does his duty by his neighbor and the state, receives the full protection of the law and is given the amplest chance to exercise the ability that there is within him, alone or in combination with his fellows as he desires. My friends, it is sometimes easier to preach a doctrine under which the millennium will be promised offhand if you have a particular kind of law or follow a particular kind of conduct. It is easier, but it is not better. The millennium is not here. It is some thousand years off yet. Meanwhile, there must be a good deal of work and struggle, a good deal of injustice. We shall often see the Tower of Siloam fall on the just as well as the unjust. We are bound in honor to try to remedy injustice. But if we are wise, we will seek to remedy it in, in practical ways. Above all, remember this, that the most unsafe advisor to follow is the man who would advise us to do wrong in order that we may benefit by it. That man is never a safe man to follow. He is always the most dangerous of guides. The man who seeks to persuade any of us that our advantage comes in wronging or oppressing others can be depended upon if the opportunity comes to do wrong to us in his own interest, just as he has endeavored to make us in our supposed interest do wrong to others. Those were the remarks at Butte, followed by these at Helena, Montana by President Theodore Roosevelt, May 27, 1903. It is a great pleasure to come through this state and to see legibly written for the most unobservant to read assured promise of a future greatness. I sometimes think that you yourselves do not altogether realize how great that future will be. Your minds count for much. Your ranches count for much. But most of all is going to be done by the water and in two ways. In the first place, thanks to the rapid fall of the rivers from the mountains, there is a well-nigh inexhaustible source of power in your streams, which will certainly be used in the building up of great manufactures. 
we are going to see great manufacturing centers here in Montana taking advantage of the power of your waters. In the next place, those waters will be used under wise schemes of irrigation until you make this whole state blossom like the rose. You need, first of all, to distribute the water in space through the irrigating ditches, and then to preserve it in time by storage in reservoirs so as to keep the floods that run to waste of one season for use at the season when they are most needed. And Congress, the national legislature, has not of recent years put upon the statute books any law as wise, as beneficent as the National Irrigation Act of a year ago. It was the beginning of the scheme of using aright the waters which have been allowed to go to waste. And as all of you know, when irrigation becomes an accomplished fact, and the waters are used in accordance with the right principles of irrigation, we always find that rainfall is a very poor substitute for it. We have passed in irrigation the stage of preliminary experiment. There is no question of what can be done by it. The question merely is to the method, as to the means of making it most effective, and in my judgment, the greatest development within our borders, the greatest development not on the seacoast of the United States during the next half century will be the development of what have been called the arid and semi-arid lands under the applications of the principles of irrigation. And I say one thing with emphasis, in endeavoring to secure the adoption of the irrigation law, I was met with protests from people dwelling in the humid regions who believed that the building up of agriculture in an intensified form in the arid regions through irrigation would be detrimental to them. Seems a rather abrupt end to the comments, but I uh, picture them being uh, done in a series of speeches and things, so that uh, those are the Theodore Roosevelt messages to the people of Montana, May 27th, 1903. Another beautiful day ahead for us in Medora, where the Northern Pacific Railroad crossed the Little Missouri River in 1883, bearing one young Theodore Roosevelt to meet his destiny as a cattle rancher here. Uh, we're uh, uh, the benefactors of, uh, uh, we're the beneficiaries of a wonderful gentle rain that fell through the weekend, so that with the uh, warm temperatures and the sunshine, the Badlands are really greening up. They shan't stay green all summer, but they're green now. So come out and enjoy Theodore Roosevelt National Park, which is open to visitors, uh, the Bully Pulpit Golf Course, uh, even just visiting the clubhouse there and looking down upon the uh, Custer's Trail Ranch run by the uh, Eaton Brothers and picturing uh, Custer and the 7th Cavalry on their way out to the Little Bighorn. Well, uh, one is uh, apt to get a bit dreamy when wandering in the Badlands. I hope you'll join us here, and I hope you'll join us tomorrow on Teddy Talks, where Theodore Roosevelt will be bouncing through several communities in Idaho, May 28, 1903. From Medora and everyone at the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation, goodbye and good luck.